Thank you, Azure, for that ministry of music, an extremely appropriate ministry for preparation for the word this morning. We just heard about God's provision in the midst of suffering and difficulty. Christians and suffering is a very important topic. There is even some question sometimes among Christians is do Christians suffer? And then why do Christians suffer? We find in the scriptures that we're to view suffering as both a privilege and a duty. Suffer is actually what Christians do. Suffering is given as a gift, even as faith is a gift. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, it says, For it has been granted to you, it has been granted to you, that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. When it says that we are granted suffering for the sake of Christ, that means that we will be enabled to suffer. God will help us in our suffering to the honor and glory of Christ. And also it means it's the privilege and duty of the Christian to suffer. Yes, suffering is a duty. And suffering is a way of drawing closer to Christ. It is not an unusual situation for Christians to suffer. It is not strange. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. Don't be surprised. And I think a lot of people are surprised because of the health and wealth gospel, because of all the misteaching about what it is to be secure in Christ, there's this view out there that as Christians we're wrapped in some kind of cellophane and we are preserved from all the difficulties and hardships and trials of life. Well, nothing could be farther from the truth. It says it is not strange that we suffer. In fact, we find out in the Word of God that we are actually appointed to suffer. We are appointed to suffer. That is, we are called to suffer. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, it says, for to this you have been called. To this you have been called. What is this? Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. That's the key verse for our portion of scripture this morning, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. That's our key verse. But in actuality, we're going to be looking at many verses in 1 Peter this morning. That's why we didn't have a scripture reading. I don't have any one passage. But we're going to be looking at a number of verses, because all of 1 Peter deals with this issue of suffering. And we want to be focusing in on how we are to follow the model of the Lord Jesus Christ. The theme is, as Christians, we're exhorted to pattern ourselves after the model of the Lord Jesus Christ in his suffering. Again, key verse, 1 Peter 2.21, For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps, that we would suffer in the same way 
that Jesus suffered. To suffer is to endure pain, hardship, woe, or misery of any sort. And we will know pain, misery, and hardship of a variety of sorts. But we are to experience them in the pattern, in the example, in the model of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning I want us to look at just three ways in which we are to follow Jesus' pattern of suffering. First, we are called to follow Christ's example in suffering redemptively. Redemptively. As Christ suffered redemptively, so are we to suffer redemptively. Christ suffered redemptively, that is, Christ suffered in order to take away our sins. If you look at 1 Peter 2.21, it says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you. Suffered for you. Why did he suffer for us? Well, in suffering redemptively, Christ took upon himself the consequences of our sin. If you turn with me to 1 Peter 3.18, and these are the two primary verses I'm going to be using, but there will be other verses that we'll turn to. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. There are two different Greek prepositions that are used in 1 Peter 3.18. Both of them are translated into English as the word for. For. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. The word for, when it says that Christ also suffered once for sins, means on account of sins, because of sins he suffered. And the second Greek word for for is the word that means to be in behalf of. Instead of. So, for Christ also suffered once because of sins, the righteous instead of or in place of the unrighteous is the way in which we could read this particular verse. Christ took on our suffering. He suffered so that we would not have to suffer. He bore the consequences of our sin. He experienced the shame, the rejection, the wrath of God. Everything that we deserved, he bore in our place. Christ suffered instead of us suffering. He took our suffering upon himself. In following Christ's example of suffering, we are to suffer redemptively. But we have to ask ourselves, what does that look like? What does it mean to suffer redemptively? Obviously, we cannot take away people's sins and provide forgiveness the way that Jesus did. We can't bear one another's sins. We can't achieve someone else's forgiveness by our obedience. We cannot place ourselves in their place in the way in which Jesus was placed in our place. So we can't bear sins in that narrow, redemptive way of bearing the full consequence of sin in order that others can be forgiven. We can't do that. But what can we do? What can we do? How can we suffer redemptively? Well, first of all, we can seek to ease the pain and the suffering 
that other people are enduring. We can seek to help others. It begins by not adding to people's suffering that they're already experiencing. We certainly don't want to do that. We should not be seeking to make people's lives more miserable than what they are, causing even greater consequences for their sinful behavior than what they're already experiencing. But beyond that, we should seek to shoulder some of the suffering that people are bearing as the result of the consequences of their sin. We are to be willing to take upon ourselves and share in the consequences of other people's sins. Now, how do we do that? Well, first, at the very least, we seek to provide comfort for people who have sinned, to reassure them that they are forgiven and made right with God through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are already feeling guilty. They are already feeling condemned. They're already wrestling with doubts and uncertainty. And we are to reassure them that indeed they are forgiven. They are restored. They are in a right place with God, having repented and placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Furthermore, we should seek to be making life easier, not harder, for those who are experiencing the consequences of sin. Sin, indeed, does have its consequences. And they result in hardships of many kinds. One of them is providing financial assistance. Sometimes, because of sin, people experience financial troubles. Well, if that is the case, if, if they have done wrong, if they have defrauded, if they have been uh, foolish in the exercise of their, their monies, you think of the prodigal son who wasted his inheritance. If we know people who have wasted their inheritance, they've wasted their money, they have lived a rather profligate life, and as a result, now they are experiencing hardship, the Christian doesn't say, you made your bed, now lie in it. But the Christian actually comes alongside and says, can I help you? Can I make up for some of what you have lost? Can I make your life a little easier? We can suffer redemptively by trying to shoulder some of the consequences and hardships that other people face. We can share in lifting the load of people's sins. We can enter into and seek to ease the pain and consequence of sin. And then secondly, we can suffer redemptively by being willing to suffer and make personal sacrifices so that others will hear and believe the gospel. We are told that Christ suffered in order to bring us to God, 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Now these words, that he might bring us to God. Bring us to God. That is to reconcile us to God. To make us right with God. Again, we can't do that in the complete and fullest sense in which Jesus did. We cannot be that mediator. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So we can't 
be the mediator, but we can point to the mediator. We can point to the one who can provide them forgiveness. We can indeed introduce them to the gospel and the importance of placing their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul gave us a supreme example of a person who suffered in order to bring other people to Christ. In 2 Timothy 2.8, he, he states, and I follow, and I quote, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, now listen to these words, for which I am suffering, for which I am suffering, bound with chains is a criminal. Paul is in prison. The reason Paul is in prison is for preaching the gospel, for telling others about how they can be brought into a saving relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, bound with chains is a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. And then he tells us this, therefore, I endure everything. I endure everything. I am putting up with all this suffering. I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. He says the reason that I continue to suffer, the reason I continue to be in prison, the reason I continue to preach the gospel is so that the elect will be saved. That those whom God has called and chosen will hear that gospel and repent. And so he's willing to suffer. He's willing to suffer. In order that others are saved. That is redemptive suffering. There are many different ways in which we are called to suffer redemptively. That is to be willing to experience hardship, difficulty, adversity in order that other people will be saved. There's a really interesting example that's given in 1 Peter chapter 3 concerning wives. In 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 1, it reads, likewise, likewise. The likewise goes back to suffering in the way in which Jesus suffered. Likewise. Wives suffered the way Jesus suffered. Now notice what it says in verse 1. Wives likewise, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. To be won. To be won over. To be saved. So here is an exhortation for a wife to put up with their un believing husband by responding to him positively with the hope and anticipation that they'll be saved, that this will have an impact, that this will indeed present the gospel in a winsome and positive light. So the exhortation is, wise, be willing to suffer for the sake of your husband coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's one example. And Paul gives us a second example. And we can go on and on. We need to think about ways in which God has called us to suffer 
in order that the gospel can be presented to other people. So in conclusion of that first point, we are to follow Christ's example in suffering redemptively. First, in easing the consequences of other people's sins, and secondly, suffering with the intent that we will be able to better share the gospel and to introduce others to the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, we are called to follow Christ's example in suffering innocently. That is, Christ died undeservedly. Back to 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, and now these words, the righteous for the unrighteous. The righteous for the unrighteous. There is suffering that is due to one's own sin. That is, when we sin, get what we deserve. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, it reads, For what credit is when you sin and are beaten that you endure it? What credit is it if when you sin and are beaten you endure it? The scripture is saying there's nothing praiseworthy when we get what we deserve. There is nothing that is glorious when we have done wrong and we are punished for doing wrong. That's to be expected. That's the way life is. And that is to be accepted. But it is praiseworthy. It is wonderful. It is glorious when we suffer innocently. When we are suffering not because of what we have done, but in spite of what we have done. When we suffer not for wrongdoing, but we actually suffer because we did the right thing. So 1 Peter 2.19 says, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. While suffering unjustly. Christ suffered unjustly. He was unjustly condemned by Pontius Pilate. He was unjustly put to death by the Roman government. He did not deserve, and all the charges against him were trumped up. They were not real. Jesus did not deserve to die, but he died innocently. He died in our place. He was willing to suffer innocently. As I mentioned earlier in 1 Peter 3.18 when it says, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. The righteous is the one who suffered in the place of the righteous. The point that I'm stressing now is that Christ was righteous and we were not. In being righteous, Christ suffered innocently. He did not suffer because he was guilty of sin. Christ suffered because we were guilty of sin. Christ suffered not because of what he had done, but he suffered because of what we had done. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He, that is God the Father, made him, that is Jesus Christ, who knew no sin to be sin for us, meaning that he bore all the consequences of our sin. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in the body 
on the tree. He suffered innocently. Like Jesus, we are to be willing to suffer innocently. Now, when we talk about suffering innocently, we must remember that we cannot be completely innocent in the truest sense of the word. We're not sinless by any means. However, sometimes we can and do suffer when we have done nothing to deserve that suffering. 1 Peter 3.17 says it's better to suffer for doing good. Sometimes you suffer for doing good. You can lose your job sometimes for doing the right thing. You can lose a friend sometimes for saying the right thing. You can encounter difficulty by standing up and doing what is right. Sometimes we can suffer for doing the right thing. We find that we are called as Christians to suffer innocently. Look with me at an extended section in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. 1 Peter 2, 13, be subject for the Lord's sake. That is on behalf of our commitment to the Lord. Our commitment to the Lord should result in certain behaviors. Verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake. To every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or supreme, or to the governors as sent by them to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. That's the role of government, verse 14. The role of government is to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. That's what government's supposed to do. But guess what? They don't always do it. They don't always do it. They don't always reward good and punish evil. In fact, sometimes they reward evil and they punish good. So now what? What do you do when the government doesn't do what it's supposed to do? Verse 15, for this is the will of God. Uh, well, let me read the rest of 14. Uh, or the governors are sent by to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Down to verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Also to the unjust. We're to submit to leaders not only when they do what is right and to our benefit, but we're to submit to leaders even when they don't do what is right and is not to our benefit or well-being. Now sounds absurd to the non-believer. But 1 Peter 2.19 says, for this is a gracious thing. This is a gracious thing. This is grace. When mindful of God, out of obedience to God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. That's grace. When one out of their obedience to God is willing to suffer, willing to put up with hardship, willing to put up with difficulty in the midst of injustice, undeservedly, when we aren't being treated the way we ought to be treated, and yet, we will be willing to suffer for 
the sake of God. In suffering innocently, people can find no fault with us. 1 Peter 2.15, for this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. When we are willing to suffer unjustly, people don't know what to do with that. People don't know how to respond to that. Why would you? Why would you? The world says, why in the world, wife, would you put up with a miserable husband? Why would you do that? The world says, why as a Christian are you going to submit yourself to government when the government is working against you, not for you? Why would you do that? This is mind-boggling to an unbeliever that you're going to be willing to suffer for something you didn't do in order to make a statement. Furthermore, in suffering innocently, we prove the reality of the Christian faith. Verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Such suffering brings us closer to Christ. We sang in one of the choruses this morning, the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. The fellowship of his sufferings. That's a unique thought, the fellowship of his sufferings. That when we suffer innocently, when we suffer redemptively, we enter into a new relationship to Christ. That is, all of a sudden, what Christ has done for us takes on an incredibly new dimension. We, we get it in a new way. When we start experiencing that, we have a better understanding of what he did for us. We enter into the fellowship of his sufferings. Such sufferings are praiseworthy at the last day, 1 Peter 4, 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Just as Christ is exalted at the end because of his suffering, so will we. We'll be rewarded. We'll be praised. We'll receive crowns. God will say, well done now, good and faithful servant for suffering unjustly, for suffering redemptively. It is a glorious thing. So 1 Peter 4.16 says, If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. To suffer as a Christian means two things. First, experiencing persecution as a result of being a Christian. There is a certain amount of suffering that will come just because you identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because people hate Christ, they hate us. Because people reject Christ, they reject us. There is guilt by association, if you will. That's only half. The other half is to suffer as a Christian is 
meaning that we are willing to endure suffering because we are a Christian. Knowing that that's what we're called to. Knowing that that's what God has given us the grace to do. That as a Christian, that's what I do. I suffer. I suffer. That's what being a Christian is about. So the application is we're to follow Christ and his example of being willing to suffer innocently. And then lastly, we're called to follow Christ's example in suffering patiently. Suffering patiently. What did Jesus do when he suffered patiently? Well, he waited for God to make things right. 1 Peter 2.23, and I think you looked at this in your Sunday school class, this section. Uh, those of you who are with Pastor Cruz, 1 Peter 2.23 it says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus did not take matters into his own hand. He trusted in God's timetable. He trusted in God's purposes. So what Jesus did not do, in suffering patiently, Jesus did not return insult for insult, verse 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. To revile is to insult, to slander, to mock. And all the time that people mocked him on the cross, he never mocked the people back. And all the times that they ridiculed him on the cross, he did not ridicule them back. He was patient with others. In suffering patiently, Jesus did not seek to get even. He did not threaten his oppressors. He did not seek to bring harm against those who were harming him. They were nailing him to a cross. They were actively putting Jesus to death. And he did nothing to stop them or to harm them. So 1 Peter 2.23 says, when he suffered, he did not threaten. In fact, Jesus did the exact opposite thing of making a threat. That is, Jesus prayed for them that they would be forgiven. Luke 23, 33 and 34. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals on the right and on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He did not curse them. Again, which is so opposite of the world. The world who does not even believe in judgment. The world who does not even place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The world, the non-believer, when they are unjustly treated, when they are mocked, when they are ridiculed, they will turn and say, damn you. And they will use God's name in vain. It is not the believer's response to damn people. It's just the opposite. It's to pray that God would forgive them. To pray that God would forgive them. Luke chapter 6 verse 28 says, Bless those who curse you. Pray. For those who curse you. 
The Christian has a far, far different response. For they follow the pattern of the Lord Jesus, who grants to us not only faith, but the ability to suffer. Again, in suffering patiently, Jesus did not take matters into his own hands, but trusted God to do what was right. 1 Peter 3.23 When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. I love that translation for it's very precise and right. Continued entrusting himself. It means that it had to be ongoing. Through all that Jesus endured, he had to constantly be saying to himself, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Every insult, every mock, every spittle that ran down his face, every hair of beard that was plucked from his face, every chant, you can save others, save yourself, come down from there. He continually entrusted himself to God, meaning that he left it in God's hands. God will take care of this. God will reward him. God will raise him from the dead. God will exalt him over his enemies. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is glory to God. We have to believe that there is a day coming when all justice will reign. Truth righteousness and holiness. All injustice will be removed. All pain and suffering is going to be gone. We are longing for, we are anticipating, we are waiting for that day when government finally is made right and when this world is what it ought to be. Until then, we entrust ourselves to God and say, God, help us to suffer for your sake. Follow the example of Jesus. Not to be like the world. Not to hear their siren call. But be completely, completely different. In actuality, opposite. Opposite. Conclusion. We're going to partake of communion this morning. And as we partake of communion, first let us rejoice in Christ who suffered for us. May we never forget that all the sufferings of Christ came because of our sin. He bore our shame. He bore God's wrath in our place. He bore our suffering. Secondly, may we model ourselves in the pattern of the Lord Jesus. May we follow his example in suffering redemptively. May we follow his example in suffering innocently. And may we follow his example in suffering patiently, entrusting ourselves to his good will, his timetable, his purpose. Let us pray. Almighty God, help us as we Partake of communion first to rejoice 
and the willingness of Lord Jesus to suffer in our place, and then to realize that we have been called to be like Jesus. It's been appointed to us to be like Jesus, not just to believe, but to suffer like he did. So Lord, help us to suffer redemptively. Help us to suffer with the intent of easing other people's consequences to their sin and suffering in such a way as that we are able to point other people to the Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to suffer not just redemptively, but innocently. Lord, when we are suffering injustices, may it not surprise us. And may it not create a rebellious spirit in us. When things are not going our way and when others are not exercising their duties and their responsibilities in the right way, whether it be our employers, like the masters over the servants, whether it be the government, Lord, we encounter it all the time in which people don't treat us the way that we should be treated. Help us, Lord, to be willing to suffer innocently. May it be a powerful testimony. May we show the grace of God and how different we are. Not because of our makeup, but because of what you have called us to and how you have transformed us to being a righteous people, to be like Christ. Help us to suffer patiently. Lord, help us to endure. Help us not to lose our tempers. <laughs> help us not to give up. Help us not to rebel. Lord, help us to entrust ourselves into you, your hand, saying, Lord, you'll help us. You'll make things right. And may we wait for that day. And we look forward to the day in which you do make all things right. We thank you that Jesus rose from the dead, conquered sin and death. And as a result, one day we will know no more pain and suffering or hardship or difficulty. All sinfulness. All the curse will have been done away. We look forward to and anticipate that day. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.